You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Glad you're here. Glad you've chosen to worship here on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. We are so thrilled that you are a part of our worship service today. Today we're finishing a series we began just a couple of weeks ago called Things I Learned in Sunday School. We've been looking at really common biblical stories, especially from the Old Testament, and the things we can learn. So if you grew up in church, you probably have heard these stories before. Um, And our hope is that you'll come away with some new, fresh reminders and relevant truths to that as well. If you did not grow up in church, these are some fascinating stories that God can use in your life to teach you some valuable things about him and what he wants to do through you. We've already looked at Daniel in the lion's den, and we've looked at Jonah and the whale. And today is probably the most famous of all of these, and it's David and Goliath. And I am thrilled today for the first time in in my life, I get a chance and opportunity to share the stage with someone. He's our high school and young adult pastor. Uh, He also happens to be my son, Pastor Bradley Walters. How are you here? Thanks. I'm excited. Um, Just so you know, I'm probably... um, uh, um, I'm probably the opposite of a lot of people. A lot of people just brag on their kids all the time, especially when they're in public. I tend to not do that so there's not a perception of favoritism or anything like that to their detriment. So let me just say what a fantastic job Bradley and his wife Maddie are doing in our high school ministry and our young adult ministry. And this past Wednesday, for the first time in I know over 15 years, maybe almost 20 years, we had triple digits in high school ministry. A hundred kids showed up for high school this past Wednesday night. And man, just doing a great job. Proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. So today, we get an opportunity to look at um, this story. And what's going to happen is this. This is not going to be as much of a conversation as it is we're going to share the moment to preach to you. So I'm going to preach a little bit. Bradley's going to preach a little bit. I'm going to come back up and close it out. And uh, I believe that God's going to reveal some things to us, remind us of some things, but also reveal to us some things that are new in his word. So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to be in the entirety of the chapter, but I want to read to you the first 11 verses if we can. It, talks about, it says at the very first one, talking about the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He was over nine feet tall. I think we sometimes just gloss over that and say, yeah, sure he was. He wore a bronze helmet. His bronze coat of mail, the the, the protective gear across his chest, weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of the spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, and tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. In other words, this is one big bad dude. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. So Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. And if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul, the king, 
and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much today for the opportunity to be able to share your word, to be able to open up your word and allow your word to speak to us, maybe in ways like it never has before. God, I pray in these next few moments that you would anoint Bradley and me as we bring your word. Anoint the words you've given us to say. Anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them so that you may accomplish your perfect will. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. and amen. Everything in his life is pointed to this moment. David, who is a teenager, no more than 16 years old, he's the youngest son in his family, stands on the precipice of his calling and his greatness and his destiny, and he has no idea. Neither does anyone else. The Israelites have gathered together to face battle with the Philistines. These are their arch nemesis, their mortal enemies, who to this day are still wreaking havoc in Israel. As Pastor Brett prayed with the conflict that is taking place there, the modern-day Palestinians are the biblical Philistines. Modern-day Gaza Strip is Old Testament Philistia. At this moment in time, they have previously defeated the Philistines. But this time feels different. Because this time there's a warrior, a giant of a man, whose name is Goliath, who's a champion. And he is breathing threats against the Israelite army and challenging them to send them a warrior, send their champion to fight him in a winner-take-all battle that if the Israelites win, the Philistines will become their slaves, and the Philistines win, the Israelites will become Philistine slaves. And the Israelite army is absolutely terrified. Goliath stands, and he taunts them, and he shouts insults at the entire army. But he also begins to insult the God of Israel, the one only true God there is. When David arrives at this moment, he has no idea that this challenge, this situation will catapult him into his destiny and his calling. What he does know is years earlier, there was a man named Samuel, a prophet, that God told to go to Bethlehem, the city where David lived. Samuel goes there on a secret mission that no one else knows about, searching for someone, the next king of Israel. Because God had decided that King Saul was unworthy to be king anymore, and he was going to remove him eventually. And he sent Samuel to find the replacement and anoint him as the next king. And so Samuel comes into Bethlehem, and he goes to the house of Jesse, where God had directed him. And he tells Jesse what God has told him. So Jesse brings out his sons one by one in order to see which one God has selected to be the next king of Israel. He brings out his oldest. His name is Eliab. And he stands before Samuel, and Samuel looks at him with his natural eyes, and he goes, surely this is the one. I mean, in his mind, he's like, surely this is the one. I mean, Lord, look at him. He is kingly material. God says he is not the one. 
And then he says to Samuel, the Lord doesn't look upon the outward appearance. He looks upon the heart. And so God doesn't select Eliab and he goes to the next son. God doesn't select him and he goes to the next son and God doesn't select him. And down the line, seven sons come before him. None of them selected. All of them feeling the slight of rejection by the prophet. Until the line to go before him is empty and all of the line of the sons that he's seen is full. Samuel is confused and perplexed and he looks at Jesse and he says, is this it? Are these all of your sons? And Jesse says, well, there is the youngest, but he's out in the fields watching sheep. He is doing the most unimportant job of anyone. He's the lowliest in the family doing the most unimportant job. Samuel says, I want to see him. And because of Samuel's response, it seems as if Jesse has said, it's going to take a little while to go get him. Why don't we sit down and have some food waiting on him to come back? And Samuel says, no, I need somebody rushing out there right now. We will not sit. We will not eat. We will not talk. We will not have any refreshments. Nothing's going to happen until he gets here. And they bring David into the room, and immediately God says, that's the one. And Samuel takes the flask of anointing oil, and he pours it over David's head and declares, you are going to be the next king of Israel. And the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord rested on David from that day forward. What a glorious day in the life of David. Honored and elevated you know, over all his older brothers and in the sight of his father. You know, the father that didn't think it worthy to even mention his name. You would think that everything changed at that moment. That his life was completely different from that day forward. But the very next day, David wakes up. And he goes back to the same fields, watching the same sheep, contemplating the word of the Lord over his life. Then later, as the Spirit rests on David, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord left King Saul. And instead, a tormenting spirit came and would drive Saul crazy, almost mad. And so his advisors said, let us send for someone. Find someone who can play music well. Maybe that will soothe the king. And so they go out and they look for someone. They find out that there's a young man. He's a shepherd boy from Bethlehem, and he plays good music, and his name is David. And so they bring him into Saul's house. And the Bible says when the evil, tormenting spirit would come upon Saul, and he would begin to get uh, restless and almost mad, that David would play music for him, and it would soothe his soul. That Saul liked him, wanted him to stay there, and eventually became Saul's armor bearer. Until one day, for reasons the Bible does not make clear and it is unknown, Saul leaves to go fight a battle. David's three older brothers go and enlist and they fight that same battle. And David finds himself once again back in the fields watching the same sheep he watched years before. And now he's forgotten by the king.
By the time he comes back into the contact with the king, the king has forgotten his name. And David learns in that moment valuable lesson that we all have to learn. It's that when God calls us to greatness and when God's plan is working out in our lives, we have to have patience with God's process. Patience with God's process. You don't know why God is doing what he's doing. You don't know why he's taking longer than you want him to take. But you have to have patience with God's process. Because what David doesn't know is God is teaching him some things that he's unaware of at the time that he can look back on and see it later. God is teaching him responsibility and he's teaching him self-discipline and he's learning King Saul's personality. He's learning the inner workings of a king's court and how kings operate in those moments. He can't see it at the time. He's just clearly not in the calling. He has to be disappointed. You know, there are moments in time he has to go, did that prophet get it wrong? I mean, it's been years. Did the prophet get it wrong? Lying awake at night going, is God ever going to do what he promised me he was going to do? And days and weeks and months and years pass by, and nothing seems to be happening. And with every passing moment, the call and the promise feels more distant and more remote. Until one day, when David least expected, God catapults him into greatness. David finds himself in those fields. Israel is waging war against the Philistines. His three older brothers are there. And his father sends David to the front lines, not to fight. He's not even old enough to fight. You were supposed to be 20 years old to be in the army. No, his father sent him. Take some provisions, some food, and some supplies to your older brothers. Come back and tell me how they're doing. And as he walks into that battlefield, in this very moment, God is about to change everything in his life, but he doesn't know it. All he wonders is, how long is it going to take? The Bible tells us about this encounter in verse 20 through 30 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Starting in verse 20, it says, So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. And soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. And David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. And David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine, ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the, of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, this is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, you remember the one who was rejected? 
heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? You just feel that dripping with sarcasm like an older brother could, right? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. And then he walked over to some others, asked them the same thing, and received the same answer. After all this time of waiting, after all this time of wondering when it's going to happen, David comes to the battlefield. Here's Goliath breathing his taunts against Israel. And David is appalled that no one, no one was willing to go out and face this giant. He cannot believe there's not a man in the Israeli army, including the king, that's willing to go out and stand up and fight this giant. They're all cowering in fear because the giant seems overwhelming. But if we're honest, we know how that feels. Now, your giant may not be named Goliath, but it's probably known by another name. Anxiety. Fear. Depression. Worry. Emotional hurts. Sickness. Job distress. Broken relationships. And when we face those giants in our lives, we have the same choice that the Israelites and David are faced with. The Israelites, the army, are so afraid because all they can see is the circumstance that faces them. But David reacts differently. Why? Because David was told the story about when Samuel came into the room and was looking for the next king that reminded him what God said. God doesn't look at those outward circumstances. God looks at the heart. While the Israeli army was cowering in fear of this giant, God was looking at their heart, trying to find someone who would believe that God was enough in this moment. And David begins to ask the question, who will stand up and fight? Who will take on this pagan Philistine who is defying the armies of Israel and the God of Israel himself? And his questions begin to get noticed. His brothers are jealous. The men around him cannot believe that there's someone even willing to talk about fighting this giant. And eventually, his questions make their way up the military ranks until they get to King Saul. And he is brought into the presence of Saul. The question everyone's asking, who is this young man? Why is he not afraid of the giant? And what is it about him that's different than everyone else? And I leave you with nothing but questions while Bradley's going to bring you some answers. So as I read this story, um, I, I tend to, I don't know if anybody else does this, I tend to throw myself into like 
the story as one of the characters. And so for me, I love to see myself as David. Like I want to be like the hero. I want to be the person who steps up and, and is willing to face this giant and everything like that. But I think if, if we are completely honest with ourselves, we are probably more like the Israelite army than we are David. Am I, anybody else? Anybody else, whenever you're facing down your giant, you, you kind of feel like you may be the Israelite army? And I think the difference between the Israelite army and David is confidence. Confidence in who God made him, who God made me, who God made you. See, David doesn't ask the questions and doesn't put the focus as much on the giant as he does the Lord. David instead, whenever, whenever he sees Goliath take a step up and start to, to defy the, the name of the Lord and defy Israel, David's response is not, wow, that guy's really big. David's response isn't, wow, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to face down this giant. I don't know who in the world would be able to defeat him. David's response is so much clearer. It's, I don't understand why. Why would no one, it's been 40 days. Why would no one step up against this giant? And so he approaches Saul and says, I'll fight. I'll do it. I'll fight. I'll fight him. And Saul looks at him and says, that's ridiculous. That is completely ridiculous. You are too young. He has been fighting since his youth. Anybody ever had somebody look at you and say, that giant's a little too, too big? Anybody been facing something and somebody just tell you, I don't, know if you can, I don't know if you can accomplish that. I don't know if you can overcome that. But the difference that we see, and I want, I want to point this out in Scripture, is David's response. He says this, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion comes to steal the lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this for both lions and bears, and I'll do it with this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. You see, what David does is, he looks back on his life and recognizes that God has given him a reason to be confident. God has given him a reason. He has fought. He may not have fought a giant, but he has fought a lion and a bear. And for when David realizes this, it gives him a confidence, not in himself, not in his own abilities. But he says, he gives credit to God. That last verse, verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine too. He's not looking at himself. He's not looking at himself and his abilities and his strength and his stature and saying, I don't know how I'm going to fight this giant. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the lion and the bear when it looked dire at that point in time is the same God that's going to defeat this giant as well. And so for us, what we need to understand is that so many times our focus is on the giant. So many times our focus is on the giant and the battle that's ahead of us instead of being on God. David reminds himself of the things that God has done in his life. He reminds himself of the lion and the bear. You see, we don't overcome. It doesn't make any sense that David would be able to defeat Goliath. He is so much larger, so much stronger, but God does not 
work in logic and reasons. We overcome, the word says, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That's what we overcome by. We don't, we don't face down giants with our own abilities. We face it knowing that God has brought us through so many things. You sitting in this room right now, as you face your giant, you have a lion and a bear to draw from. Yep. You have a lion and a bear to look back on in your life and say, God, it didn't look good in those circumstances, but he brought me victory in the midst of it. Amen. For us, we must know we're not fighting on our own. We're not fighting with our own abilities. We are fighting with God. Amen. And he fights our battles. And so for you, I want to remind you, some of you just need to remind yourself of the depression that God has brought you through. Yep. Some of you just need to remind yourself of the sickness that he healed you from, the joy that he restored in your heart and in your mind, the hope that he has given you, the salvation, the person that you were before he came into your life is no longer here. He's dead and gone and you now reign with God sitting next to him. We need to remind ourselves of the victory that we have, have come from Amen. once we're facing our giants. There's an old saying that, that we've all probably heard, but I think it's so true, that your testimony allows you to stop telling yourself how big your giant is and instead start seeing how big our God is. Amen. If we can just get a glimpse of that, that's the confidence that we are talking about today. Not in our abilities, not in the things that we can do, but in God and God alone. And once we see those things, once we get that confidence we stop looking to the world for our fixes. We stop trying to rely on the logic. We stop trying to rely on the things of this world. So David approaches Saul. He says, I'll fight. And this is Saul's response. After David has given him his testimony, Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. And may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. And David put it on strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then, armed with only his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. For us, we need to understand there are going to be things in this world where we think, if I can just get this one thing, then that'll solve my problems. Saul in this moment, this is somebody that David has been looking up to his whole entire life. This is, David has been anointed at this point in time. David, that's the seat that Saul sits in. David knows he's going to be sitting there one day. He's trained under Saul. He's learned under Saul. Saul is a mentor of David's. You would think that if Saul is a mentor, a mentor of ours, tries to help us out, tries to put us in different armor, that we would use the armor, right? You would think that that would make sense. David, David isn't a warrior. David, David has not been trained at all. He hasn't fought people before. He needs all the protection. He needs all of the armor and the weaponry that he possibly can get. This is the best armor that he could get. This is Saul's armor. This is the king. And what David realizes as he gets into Saul's armor, as he's kind of taking a couple of steps, he realizes, I'm, this is kind of clunky. I don't, 
I don't know. I don't really know how to fight in this. I don't know how to move in this. I haven't been, I haven't been trained in this armor. David realizes once he takes that step, he realizes that this is not how God has prepared him to fight that fight. This is not how God has prepared him to fight this fight here. David says, I'm not meant to fight in somebody else's armor. And this is my worry today. And this is my hope, is that if you can just get a glimpse of this, my worry is that some of us in this room are trying to fight in somebody else's armor. We're trying to fight our fight using worldly means. We're trying to fight our fight like our parents. We're trying to fight our fight like our mentors. We're trying to fight our fight like our friends or our bosses or our coworkers. When God has been preparing us for so long to fight the way that he deems fit for us. In the armor that he has given us. Listen, God has been preparing you for the battle that you are in right here, right now. And we don't need to change up the game plan. God's already written it out for us. He already knows how you are going to find victory. He already knows the way that he is going to get the most glory. And so for you, I want to give you encouragement. If you find yourself fighting in somebody else's armor, if you are fighting like your parents, if you're fighting like your mentor, if you're fighting like your friends or your coworkers, you aren't them. So stop trying to be them. Amen. That's encouragement. Because I, I, I believe so strongly that some of us in this room sitting here today have put the pressure of other people on us. We're trying to win like the world would win. We're trying to fight like the world would fight. But we don't fight like that. And once you step into the armor that God has given you. You start fighting the way that God has destined you to fight this fight. Then we come to the third thing, which is you find the courage to bring God glory. You find courage to bring God glory. Along with the confidence comes courage. You see, David, in this moment, if he would, if he would have gone and fought Goliath right then and there in Saul's armor, he probably would have been victorious. Can I be honest with you? he probably would have been victorious. He was anointed as king. His time hadn't come yet. But here's the difference. If he would have fought in Saul's armor, Saul would have gotten the credit for it. If he would have fought in Saul's armor, maybe David would have gotten the credit, but people wouldn't have been able to, to see God's glory, truly seeing God's glory for what it is. People may have just thought that he was a great warrior. People may have just thought that he was a, a skilled combatant but with a sling and a stone. With the sling and the stone, there is no doubt who gets the glory in that moment. There is no doubt who gets glory, and that is God and God alone. But listen, listen to me. Whenever you step out in your own armor, whenever you step out the way that God has destined you to step out, the enemy is going to do whatever he can to get into your mind and get into your head. He's gonna say anything and everything that he can to stop you from bringing God glory, to stop you from bringing God victory. And so what is he gonna do? Just what Goliath does. He's gonna start trash talking. Look what we see here in verse 41. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy faced boy. 
Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? He cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. The enemy is going to do anything and everything that he can to get into your mind. Because once his words start to seep into your mind, they start to seep into your heart. And once they seep into your heart, the battle is lost. The enemy is going to do anything that he can to make you start questioning who you are. Do you belong out on the battlefield? He's going to come after your insecurities. He's going to make you start to question, do I actually belong here? Am I actually able to win? But listen, look what David does as his reply. He responds with truth. He says this, you come at me with spear and sword and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the heavenly armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but do, but not with sword and spear. But this is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. David, in this moment, he is faced with the lies of the enemy. He is faced with the enemy coming at his insecurities, questioning, do you even belong here? And what does he do? He responds with truth. David takes it a step further. Goliath says, I'm going to kill you. David says, I'm going to kill you, and God's going to give you, me your army as well. David says, look, this is going to be a complete victory. There is not going to be a partial victory. It's not just going to be me that's dead. Your whole entire kingdom will bow down to God himself because of the victory that we will have today. For us, what do we do in the face of the enemy? We don't just believe truth. For us, we have to combat the lies of the enemy and speak it. As well, we can't just believe it. We have to have the courage to be able to speak truth in the face of the lies of the enemy. That's why it's so important for us, so important for us to know the word of the Lord. It's so important for us so that whenever the enemy comes at us with lies, whenever the enemy says that you're worthless, you can reply to him with John 3.16 that you are worth his sacrifice. God has deemed you worth his sacrifice. Whenever the enemy comes at you and says that you're just a victim, that thing that happened in your past is going to define you for the rest of your life, you can reply with 1 Corinthians 15.57 that says that in Christ I am victorious. Whenever the enemy says that you will never be healed, that sickness that you have in your life, it's never going to be healed. You can reply with Isaiah 53, that by his stripes, I am made whole and healed Amen. in the name of Jesus. When the enemy says that you're rejected, when the enemy says that no one loves you, that no one's gonna accept you, you can reply with 1 John 3, 1, that says that I am adopted as a child of God. He has chosen me for us. For those of us who feel like we're alone and the enemy tells us that we're going to be alone for the rest of our lives, you can respond confidently, confidently with Joshua 1.5 that says that he is never going to leave me nor forsake me. And whenever the enemy says that you're a failure, whenever he says that you're never going to find victory, you can reply with Romans 8.37 that says that I am more than a conqueror, that with Jesus I have found victory over anything in this world. 
for us. That's why it is so important that we are able to stand on the word of God. But to stand on it, you've got to know it. You've got to know the word of God so that you can respond to the enemy and recognize the lies and say, no, 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 no. God has told me different. God has told me that I'm I'm victorious against this battle. This giant that I face, I'm going to find victory over. And so for us, we need to read it. We need to believe it. We need to understand it so that we can not only combat the enemy, but encourage ourselves. And that's my prayer for us today. That's my prayer. Is that we would have a knowledge of the word of God so that whenever the enemy faces us down and tells us lies, that we can respond with the word of God and truth in the face of it. Come on, Bradley. (laughs) You know, I think one of the greatest parts of this is that before the battle is ever physically fought, it's already spiritually won. Mm -hmm. All of these verses in chapter 17, and there's only just a few that talk about the actual battle. Why? Why? Because the battle is won in your heart and in your mind before it's ever won in the physical. Yeah. Amen. After all the trash talk, after David affirms the word of God, the calling of God on his life, after he speaks that out, there's just a few verses in verse 48 that describes what happens. It says, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, and reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling, hit the Philistine in the forehead, and the stone sank in. And Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. And then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him, cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Just a few verses that describe what David has already said was going to happen. He said, because the Lord is with me, here's what I'm going to do. So he takes all that he has and he's relying on. As Bradley said, it's not... It's not a sword. It's not armor. It's a shepherd's bag filled with stones and a sling. And he takes that. He advances first. They're camped on hills. The battle could take place in a valley. The Bible says that David sets off for the valley first. Goliath moves and David advances even more to reach him. And David begins to take that sling and he spins it and he spins it and then he releases one side of it that allows the rock stone to fly now look I think David was probably a good shot okay I think he used all the time out in 
the fields. I believe he could hit a wild animal. But I don't believe David was good enough to take a stone, unfurl it, hurl it towards Goliath, and it go directly to the only spot that the armor didn't protect, which was his forehead. No, I think God took David and his past skills and his faith and his courage, and I think he took that stone and turned it into a heat-seeking missile that buried deep into the forehead of that giant. And as it did, the giant collapsed and fell. Can you imagine the sound of a nine-foot man collapsing? Can you imagine the fear in the hearts of the Philistines when they saw their true hope and a pagan giant collapsed to the ground? Can you imagine the elation and the courage of the Israelites as they saw the one thing that stood in the way of their victory collapse down because one man, one young man, one boy had the courage to fight in who God made him to be. One person said, I'll step out and let God bring himself glory. One person dared to take a step of faith and allow God to get the victory and the glory. You don't know what your step of faith does for somebody else. God may bring you through and bring you victory, but he's bringing other people victory with you because they're watching you and your faith. And it may not make sense, but they're watching what you do when you face those giants of circumstances in your life that look like they're going to crush you. They're watching you. And they're not trying to see whether you've got it all together. And they're not trying to see whether you're good enough for this. What they're trying to see is what do they depend on? What step of faith do you need to take today? It's the first step that you take towards your giant. What is it you need to do to release the stone of faith? And then when you release it, you rely on God to take it and turn it in to the earth-shattering, enemy-crushing missile it needs to be. Do you need to stand on the word of God? And in spite of every diagnosis that you've ever received, do you stand on the word of God and say, my God is able? And do you also stand as you depend on that healing and put it in God's hand? Do you also stand like Job did and said, but even if he doesn't, even though God slay me and take me out, Yet I will serve him no matter what. Do you take that step of faith? Do you take the step of faith that says, I know this relationship has been broken for years and years and years, but I will make the call. I will send the text. I will write the note. I will put it into God's hands. And whatever results out of this is God's at this point. Do you stop listening to the lies of the enemy he's been speaking into your life that has caused you to have insecurity and doubt? 
if you stand on the promises that you are the child of God and you don't know what your destiny is right now, but you know that with God, all things are possible. And in spite of all of your shortcomings, God can take you to a place that you never dreamed possible. Do you stop listening to the lies that someone else has spoken into your life, that you've given permission to speak into your life because of their own insecurities, because of their own self-doubt, because they couldn't elevate themselves to a certain place? They've continually tried to bring you down. Do you finally at that moment stop believing their lies and if all things possible, cut their words and them out of your life? Do you stand on the word of God and say, I don't know how this is going to end. All I know I can release it and let God do what only God can do. Whatever step of faith it is, will you be bold enough to do it and say, I don't know when, I don't know how, but I do know God has promised, and so I trust him. And unlike everyone else, the thing that causes everyone else to shake in their boots. I refuse to allow to keep me up at night because my God is able. In just a few moments, I'm going to challenge you to take that step of faith and bring that to the Lord through prayer and allow someone to agree with you in prayer as you take that need to the Lord and trust him with it. Right now, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes in this room. For some of you, one of the greatest acts of trust you can do right now is to turn your entire life over to the Lord and give it to him. When you came in this room, some of you know you weren't following the Lord. But today, you need to trust him with your life. And if that's you, you need to pray something like this with your heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you right now for your sacrifice and your grace and your mercy. And I thank you that you are more than enough. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of those things. And I yield my life and surrender to you from this point forward. I will never be the same. Now I'm gonna ask everyone in the room, just pray this prayer of profession. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Come on, Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, no one looking around except the ministry team and me. If you know when you came in this place this morning, things weren't right between you and the Lord, but you made a decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'm not here to embarrass you or call you out. I want to pray for you specifically this week. But if that's you, you made that decision this morning, will you just raise your hand really high and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me this week. Leave it up just a moment, please. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Just leave it up just a moment more, please. Thank you. Amen. All right, you can put them down. Father, we thank you for lives that have been changed, hope that has been found, for joy that has been restored. We thank you for changed lives. We thank you, O oh Lord, that those lives are significant and meaningful and they have a purpose and a destiny that is to come. And for these next few moments, we thank you that in this place, in this altar, as we worship together, as we pray together, that as we take steps of faith, you're going to take our steps of faith and turn them into victory. Even though we don't know how or when you're going to do it, we declare that victory, total, complete victory is coming. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. 
As we worship together, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come down, stand in front here. If you have a need, whether that's a physical need, emotional need, financial, um, spiritual, relational need, whatever that need is, I'm going to invite you to bring that to the Lord this morning and allow someone to pray with you. Let's worship together. Let's believe together. And let's pray together right now. If you have that need, please come forward. Allow us the privilege to pray with you. Holy name, 
I'd like for you to do me a favor and just close your eyes just for a second. Hold your hands open as if you want to receive something from heaven. And I just want you to speak the name Jesus. Come on, say Jesus. Whatever you're facing, just say the name of Jesus right now. He's enough. Can you just say Jesus is enough? Jesus is more than enough. 
Jesus is my King. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my hope. And Jesus is my victory. Now, if you believe that, give him praise in this place. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Hey, can you celebrate with me today? Five people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ in this place, surrendered their lives. Amen. And if you made that decision today or in the past few weeks, we'd love to help you get started in that walk with God. Um, some of our Grow Team members will be down here. would love to talk with you uh, for just a couple of minutes right after service is over with. Hey, before we get out of here, can I just show my appreciation? Will you show your appreciation to Bradley for helping me share the message this morning? I hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving week. I hope you eat more than your heart can contain and your stomach can contain. And I hope God takes every bit of the calories and washes them away somehow. Sometimes you just got to step out in faith, right? No, that's not what I mean. Not at all. I hope you guys have a great week. Allow me the privilege to bless you from Numbers chapter 6 before you leave. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.